When I was preparing this yesterday, and it was really impactful for me because uh, I don't want to dishonor my father, but he, uh, he, wasn't, he didn't represent fatherhood well, let's put it that way. And as I look back in his history, it was a pattern. Pattern, his father was abusive, my father was abusive. But then Jesus Christ came into my life and into our lives, and he changes us, and he gives us a new history. He breaks the history of our past, and his story is our history, the story of the love of God. And, and I want to share that with you today, because some have been fortunate to have loving fathers for sure. But I want to remind you that whether you have had a good father or not, in the context of eternity, I don't want to trivialize this, but it really doesn't matter. And why is that? Because we, who are God's children, have an eternal Father who loves that more than we can hope or imagine. And I'm going to speak about this Father, our Dad in Heaven. And I want to honor you fathers and thank you for that. But I felt it was a good day to honor the Father of Fathers. Amen? A Father who wants us to know what it is to be part of his family. And the Bible says that God puts the lonely in family, and we are to be the family of God. And that's why in this church, community is so important. Getting together, home groups, connecting is so important. We don't want this just to be a preaching, teaching um, church, but a church that takes what we learned, appropriates it to our lives, and spreads it to others around us. Amen. In John 14, and this is, I pray that this revelation today, this little revelation, and we're going to speak of John 14 and John, um, John 17 will change your life forever. In John 14, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is re, um, actually sharing his last meal. He knows that uh, he's going to be crucified the next day. Uh, he's washed the disciples' feet, and they're hanging there. The disciples don't know that. They're still trying to work out what he's talking about. But this is Jesus' last meal with his friends before he's crucified. And I know at that time, they, we see the picture of them uh, uh, hanging with them, having a meal with them, and so on. But it's a time, I know that I've been with people I've had the privilege of being with people actually when they take their last breath as a pastor. And I tell you, there's nothing better than being in a, uh, with a person who knows Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and knows where they're going eternally. It's a big difference when I sit with people that don't know that. And I've had the privilege to lead people to the Lord, the once, the, uh, believe it or not, within 15 minutes of them passing away. And it was such a privilege to see the peace that came on this person's life as they began to understand the revelation of Father love. So Jesus is preparing his disciple. He's been doing it over a few chapters here. He's spoken about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, that he won't leave us alone and all of this. And they're still trying to work this all out. In fact, even after the resurrection, they didn't quite understand what was going on. They knew it was God, but one of the things, Lord, are you now going to come restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for 
you to know that kind of stuff, but you will receive power from me to be a witness. And one of the powers that the Holy Spirit is the power of revelation. And I pray that when you read the Word of God, you ask God to reveal stuff through the Scriptures to you. Because you can read one chapter of Scripture over and over, and I, I can do that and it means nothing. But all of a sudden you read one or two verses and it just jumps out of the page. You say, that's for me. And that's what the Holy Spirit it makes the Word of God alive. And he says this to them, his friends, in John 14, 1 to 9, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Man, what the heck is going on here? They're thinking, you believe in God and believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If, if it were not so, I would have told you that. And I'm simply going before you to pray, prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Neither do we know the way. And Jesus answers, says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man will come to the Father except through me. I am the gateway to the kingdom of heaven. That is what he's saying to that. And people have said to us that Christianity is very ex exclusive because Jesus is the only way. I tell you, it's the most inclusive religion in the world because all can come. If there was a fire in this building and that was the only exit, the only way out, and I said, guys, we need to get out that building. You said, no, I don't want to go out there because there's only one exit. You would run through there as fast as you could. And so Jesus says, everybody can come to the Father, but the only way that he comes to the Father is through me. And when I was young, uh, I, I, um, I searched a lot for, for God. Unfortunately, I'd had a few bad experiences with churches and Christians. And so I looked at a lot of religions, trying to find my way. But one day God captivated my heart. One day, through revelation of the Holy Spirit, I began to realize that although we may represent our Father, I misrepresent Him sometimes. And although we may misrepresent Jesus sometimes, He is constant. And his love is constant for us. And so then the conversation goes on. It says, Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been amongst you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It's an amazing statement Jesus made. And what does he mean by that? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. See, what I believe he is saying, that he says, I've spent three and a half years of my life with you. Remember, he was 30 when his ministry began. Soon after... Uh, it began, he, he gathered the 12 disciples, 
and he took them on a journey, preparing them for the day that through them he would birth the church. And he says, so three of, for three and a half years, I believe you're saying, I have been revealing to you my Father's heart. So when you see me, you see the heart of the Father. You see the love of the Father through Jesus. We saw the love of the Father. Through Jesus, we saw kindness to people. We saw strength. We saw tenderness. They had seen the power of the miracles, the power of God in Jesus. A power that flowed out not of, hey, look at me, I'm great, I can heal people, but a power that flowed out of compassion and love. That's why Jesus healed. Because he loved people and he knew what sin was doing to them. It was destroying their lives. So he came to reveal the Father's heart. A Father that said, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want to intimately know you. And so, through Jesus' lifestyle, he was showing us. When you read the miracles of Jesus, Jesus hated sin. And that's why he gave his life. He paid the price with his very blood so that we could, God could restore a relationship broken by sin with our Father. That's why Jesus came. Because God wanted a relationship restored with our Father in heaven. They so, and soon they would witness how he would lay down his life for both their and our sake. A few hours after this same conversation, Jesus is now in the garden He's just about to be um, arrested. Just about. He knows what's going to happen. He's, he prays three prayers in there. He prays for himself that God would give him the strength to walk through what he knows that is coming. He prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us. He prays this prayer. It's called the Prayer of the Believers. In John 17, 20 to 23, I'm going to read it. Jesus says this. I pray also that those who will believe in me, that's us, through their message, through the disciples' message, that all of them would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may know that you have sent me, that the world through unity in the church, through love, forgiveness, and Acceptance will see Jesus Christ. So Jesus' last prayer was that we would walk in unity. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity takes effort, church. It means we can't always have it our own way. You know, leading a church is a wonderful privilege, but, it, but this is the family of God. And I know leading... My, my wife and, and kids sometimes isn't easy. We don't always get along, and it's difficult. And that's five or six of us. With our, and then we include the grandchildren. How much more leading 300 people? There were opinions. Everybody, even in my leadership team, who are such an amazing team and who honor me and, and, and Deborah, and not that we, we want that honor, but... At some stage, somebody has to have the final say. And I say it takes effort. 
But it's important because it's through unity and through love that the world will know who we are. Amen? Amen. Said, I have given the glory, them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved me, even though, even as I have loved, that, and that you have loved me, even as you have loved them, sorry, even as you have loved me. I want us to focus on that. That you have loved them, us, even as the Father loved Jesus. This is a revelation, the absolute revelation of God's love for us. Because in these words, Jesus declared the ultimate revelation of our worth to God. That the measure of his love for us is the same measure as his love for Jesus. God does not love Jesus any more than he loves you. When we are born again, when we come into his family, when we become children of God, we have the same rights and, uh, as that Jesus has, and we'll see that in the word of God. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Yeah, is that an amen thing? God loves me in the same way he loves Jesus. I, I was reading this and preparing this, and I was pretty undone by it. Even last night, spending about an hour after finishing up, and I just listening to some worship God, worship music, and just asking God for a fresh revelation of Father love. See, God cares about you and I the same way He cares about Jesus. Take a moment to think about this. According to Jesus, the Son of God, God loves you and I, once again, warts and all, when we're good or bad, as much as He loves Jesus. I want you to think about that all week. You see, this is the major key to living a victorious life in Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Religion says this, obey me to prove your love for me. What Jesus is saying, when you fall in love with me, when you have a revelation, and when I become that person that you love more than anything else, you will lay down your lives. You will give your time. You will give your finances. You will do whatever it takes because you love me and I love you. That's the relationship. Religion is about rules and regulations. Um, Jesus is about love, and out of love, obedience flows. We know that when we first meet our wonderful wives or girlfriends and the one we want to marry, we want to do everything possible to please them. Nothing's too much. And Jesus says to the church in Revelation, the church of Ephesus, and we're going to look at the Ephesians a little bit, that this is the one thing. You've done all the things well. You're doctrinally correct. You know the word, you know, you know you've persevered, but you've fallen 
out of love with me. And the sad thing is many of us fall out of love with Jesus. We're saved, we're his children. And Jesus simply says to that church, and he's saying to us, just repent and do the things you did at first. Repentance is an amazing, amazing word. It's a word metanoia. It is not a bad word. It's a realization that I'm walking away from God, slowly drifting away from God. God arrests me. He says, repent, which simply means turn around, metanoia, and come back to the source. Come back to me. Because out of that, we will give. We will work. We will honor him. We will make his name great. Not because we have to. Not because there's some brownie points in heaven. But because he is our life. He's who we are. And when we sing and when we worship or when we're out there, Jesus flows through us in compassion, not judgment. Amen? You see... Until we know that we know, that we know that we know that our Father loves us as much as He loves Jesus, it is hard for us to, com be, to completely love Him. We're a little bit suspicious. You know, what's going to happen if I fully give myself to God? What God's going to want from me? What's He going to do with me if I fully lay down my life? If I fully say, God, everything I have is yours. My life, my, my job, everything. I give it to you, Lord God. What's going to happen? See, if we don't really know He loves us and we don't know He has our best interest and if we don't know that everything we do has eternal consequences... Then we live for ourselves and we live in this world and in a sense we get to a stage and I'm talking about myself where Christ is an add-on. It becomes a cultural thing. And Christianity becomes a community that we love. You see, community is great. But God is a God and an audience of one. He wants you to come to His dad. He wants you to sit on His lap and love Him. You see, it's hard to give ourselves completely to Him. It's hard to walk in forgiveness and acceptance of others because we do it in our own strength. We try and we try. And we try hard and it doesn't work. We get discouraged. You see, Romans 6, 5, 68, this is a very simple word. It says this, speaking of God's love. Romans chapter 5, 68. The Word of God says, just at the right time. All of us have a just at the right time when we need God. When we were still powerless, Christ died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love in this one thing. That while we were still sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. You see, if we equate God and the message, the prosperity message that is wrecking the church, that come to God, your cosmic sanctum clause, and he will hook you up. 
You want this? He's there for you in that. The problem with that is when he doesn't hook us up, then we think he doesn't love us. Because we have been told that that's what he does. That that's why he's here. That's what he does. But God says, I want to bless you. We know he wants to bless us. But he says, my love was not demonstrated in the fact that you got a new, new car. Or the fact that you got a new job. And it's not demonstrated, my lack of love is not demonstrated in the fact that you might have lost your job. My love is demonstrated in one thing and one thing alone, that I gave my son to die for you. I cannot give you anything more. And that should be sufficient for us. And we should love him for that. And when we have a heart of gratitude, when we go through hard, hard times, we know, God, you are with me. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when I walk through it, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And you prepare a table for me that I can feast at. But many of us have this table prepared in the most trying times and we're eating the crumbs off the floor. So come in. Come, let me, let my transcendent peace come upon you. The peace that surpasses your natural understanding. When you're in this, let my peace be with you. Peace, my peace, the shalom of God. Go and Google that word shalom. You'll be shocked at how, how multifaceted the peace of God is. Google it. I ask you to do that. The peace of God. Just at the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Yes, we have people, we have our armed forces. Pray for them. They're heroes. They are in places laying down their lives for their nation. So that we can sit here in freedom. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, having no guarantee that we would respond to his love. Because God doesn't want robots. He wants relationship. He didn't want us to make us love him. He didn't want to make us serve him. He wanted us to serve him because we loved him. Because he loved us first. Because of what he did, he wants us to love him out of that. And when we don't know that, and when we don't live in that place, we say, God, fill my love tank. Because in that same Romans 5, it says, the love of God is poured into our hearts by his spirit. It is not achieved. We cannot earn the love of God. It is received by faith. And when our love tanks are empty, and when we've had a bad day, and when we've fallen, and when we've sworn, and when we've done whatever we shouldn't, we should come to our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. We can come into the Holy of Holies. And we say, Father, forgive me. And he says, done. Father, reveal your love for me. And he says, done. It was done 
through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. I paid the price through the, the blood of my son. You see, if we fully comprehend this, how much the Father loves us, how much he enjoys us, how much he longs for a loving relationship with us, we would not try and earn his approval. Why? Because we are already approved and loved. A true father, you see, even good fathers, you see, we got to, and we want to honor fathers. Our fathers are amazing, and I've had the privilege of amazing children, amazing grandchildren, but true fathers are not the true representation of Father God. You see, God doesn't love us when we do something good and hate us when we do something bad. He loves us regardless. He loves us in the good, the bad, and the ugly. He loves us. He loves us. He enjoys us. He longs for a relationship with us. You see, this is the issue. We have no problem believing that God loves us when we're good. When we feel we're good. But our, good, our righteousness, our goodness is as filthy rags. Ah, God must love me. You know, I did this today. Next day, I'll drop an F-bomb or something. I don't know. Excuse me for that. It, I don't know why that came to <laughs> Just thinking something bad. <laughs> and um, then I think God doesn't love me anymore. So it's like that pedal. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. Schizophrenic Christians. Not understanding our identity before Christ. And it's a big problem. Because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But God made the way for that. And God is not looking for a relationship, a mechanical relationship. God is looking for a relationship of love, of love, of love. And when we love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength, as Jesus said, the greatest commandment of ever, then we can love our neighbors at our heart, as ourselves. And we don't love God by trying to prove our love. We love God by receiving his love. A revelation of Father God, a revelation that He loves me as much as He loves Jesus Christ. As is impossible, it seems to me, that's what He does. And because of that, I will stand on the solid rock and I will preach the truth and I will stand the truth regardless of what happens. Regardless. Church, there are people that are standing on the truth of God. Jesus Christ, like they did in the early church right now, in parts of this world, all they have to do is deny Jesus, and they will live. But they have such a confidence in their loving Father. They have such an eternal security. They love Him so much that by denying Him, they would be denying their very selves. It's not out of fear but they go there like lambs to the slaughter. And I say, I will not deny my Christ. We're getting into those times, church. 
We're getting into those times. And the church needs to arise because God is coming back to a victorious church. God is coming back to a church that is advancing the kingdom. God is coming back for people who will love him so much that they will love everybody, but love people enough not to be afraid to speak of their sin. Because God loves the sinner of which I am. But he hates sin. And why does he hate sin? Because it separates us from him. When I come in to church on a Sunday morning, and I haven't got right with my dad, whether I've sinned or not, when I haven't done that, and, and we feel the worship, and God is saying, come into my throne room, and he's, he's asking, he's, he's encouraging us, and come in. And I'm thinking, oh, I did this, I did that, I did this. I can't do it. All we need to do is, Dad, I'm sorry. Right there and there, Dad, I let you down, but you've forgiven me. I can worship because you love me. And out of that, you'll see these changes. It's a transformation. It's not black and white. We are being transformed into his likeness. Slowly but surely, the more we love him, the more we become like him. And when we fall out of loving, loving him, we go the other way again. He just says, come home. Just love me. You see, a major battle for our faith and trust in God is waged in our understanding of what our Heavenly Father thinks of us when we fall. So we have two choices. When we fall, we either can fall backwards outside, like the prodigal son, or we fall forwards into his arms, like the prodigal son. Luke 15, it says he was with the pigs, and it said when he came to his senses, he said, even my father's servants have a better life than this. He said, I'm going to go home and I just want to be a servant. He went there. His father ran to him. He put a ring, a robe. He says, you're my son. You're my son. You once were lost, but now you're found. You're my son. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And as a result of this condemnation that we live in, Many of us are paralyzed by a life of shame and condemnation. And so we live in this gray area. He loves me, he loves me not. I love God, but I'm afraid what he'll do. God says, I love you. I forget about that. Come back to me. Come back to me, the Father, your Father. Come sit on my lap. We see this in Romans chapter 8. Paul, under the anointing of the Spirit, says this, verse 15, and I paraphrase it. Through Jesus Christ, you have, you have passed tense. The ones that are in Jesus Christ, the ones that have given their lives to them, you have. Hospice, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
Andy spoke of the spirit of uh, adoption this morning in the prayer meeting. He didn't know what I was going to be preaching on. You have the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father. That translator is Papa. My grandchildren call me Papa. I love it when I hear that. I get a little squeak a mile away. I'll drop everything. Papa. Abba. My dad. We're adopted. We're adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. This is the greatest love story ever told. We're adopted into his family. We're part of his family. In Ephesians 1, Paul speaks of the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. Go and read them. But there's a few, two that I want to, of the spiritual blessings. Go and read them. They're amazing. The first one, that we are chosen by Him. You and I are chosen by Him. So some people will say, well, how do I know I'm chosen by God? If God chooses some, does He not choose others? And that has been a theological debate for centuries. So this is how I see it. And I've said this, forgive me if you've been here, but for you, once again, if you get this, you'll understand, I believe, the heart of God. Because we have to divine Scripture through the heart of a loving Father. So why would a loving Father choose some people and not others? Well, i tell you what it means. When I met Deborah, and we dated, and one, some sage or other, I felt, you know, She's in the Sunday school, by the way. I, saw, I, I felt, you know, hey, I would like to marry her. So I chose her. Then I had to get the courage. Well, does she want to marry you? She says no. Then you think, oh, what the heck, I'll ask anyway. <laughs> and she, she, so I went and asked her, will you marry me? Fear and trembling. Only other question harder than that is asking the father if you can marry the daughter. <laughs> Will you marry me? And she said yes. So this is the divine romance. I chose Deborah. God chose me. Then he asks me to choose him. Everybody gets that opportunity. But the ones that choose him become the chosen one. So when Deborah, if Deborah had rejected, said, no, I don't want to marry you, she wouldn't have been my chosen one, even though I chose her. But because she did, she became my chosen one. So everybody who chooses Jesus Christ, for he loves the world, and whomsoever, we're going to read that, William shall not perish, have an opportunity be to become chosen ones. So he chooses everybody, but not everybody chooses him. And the ones that choose him become the chosen ones. They become the children of God, and they live under the blessing of God. Unfortunately, the others don't. But that's their choice. It's not God's choice. You see that? Does that make sense? And then he says, the next one, that we were adopted into the family of God. It says in Romans, um, 
um, 1 verse 8, I think, or it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I want to tell you this, and I'm nearly finished. Adoption is the most incredible love gift. Most incredible love gift. If you have been adopted, I'm telling you, it's an amazing thing because somebody chose to adopt you. You were chosen. Somebody, I know with, we have an orphanage uh, that we support through this church and that in the Congo. I think there's 38 orphans there. And there are orphans all over the world. And sometimes people will go. I've been in Haiti. And they will, you, they will go to an orphanage and this one little face just sticks out to them. And they spend years. And they spend finances. And they go through governments to get that child. Adoption is not a second class thing. And adoption is, makes you a, an heir, a son and a daughter of that family. And do you know the amazing thing about adoption? In a natural family, it's not illegal to abandon your children in most cultures. It's frowned upon. But when you adopt something, somebody, you legally sign a document that you cannot abandon that child. That document for us was signed in the blood of Jesus. You see, Adoption is a choice. Adoption costs. Costs God his son. And the only most motive for adoption is unconditional love and compassion. And adoption brings us to the family of God. Adoption gives us the same rights as heirs. Romans 8, we become heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. And because of adoption, because we're his children, we can do something that for millennia before Jesus came, very few people could do. We can approach the throne of grace. We can come into the throne room of God daily minutely, hourly, if we choose to. And when we come to the throne of grace, I want to read this to you because this, once again, seals for me the love of God. In Hebrews 4, 16, it says, Let us therefore then approach the throne, the throne of grace. And when we come, let's come with confidence because we come through Jesus Christ. And when we come to the throne, it says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace, the other side, to help us in a time of need. So this is what God wants in the morning when we wake up. We come, Father, I come into your presence. I come to the throne of grace. Grace opens the door. In other words, that we get what we don't deserve. We don't deserve access to Father. But through grace, we get that privilege to come into the Father's presence. And when we're in His presence, 
We don't get what we do deserve. We get mercy. He gives us mercy. We deserve separation and death, but we don't get that from our dad. We receive mercy. 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 He says, my son, I love you. I care for you. Don't worry about that. And then we come out of that time in our day, and we walk out of that time, and we find more grace. When I stumble, he's there. When I walk, he's there. When I'm good, he's there. When I'm bad, we find grace, and it says to help us in our time of need. Problem is, are we doing that? Are we coming? Do we start our day with any thought of this? And I'm not putting a heavy on us, and I don't say it has to be an hour or whatever, but when we come in the morning, I say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, I come into your presence. I come into your presence not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And I can stand in your presence. And Lord God, I thank you for your mercy that I'm not getting what I deserve, but I'm getting what I don't deserve, which is your love, your forgiveness, your acceptance. And Lord, when I leave, leave here, I want to find grace, every need I have for the day, that you'll pour out your grace upon me. You'll pour out a grace upon me. Paul says we to keep in step with the Spirit. When we walk all day, Lord God, you're with me. When you're on your computer, God is with you. Could be a scary thought. But he's with you. And if you're struggling with addictions or with a pornography. God wants to set you free. God doesn't want you to live there. God's not angry with you. I'm sure he's sad because he knows what it does. But you come and say, God, I need your mercy. And if you need help, find somebody that loves God and loves you and help you through these trials. We all have trials. And when we come and say, God, I'm struggling. Lord God, reveal your love to me. And the, the more that revelation comes, the more it washes over me, that all stuff starts to go away because the things of the world will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's our Father. That's our Father. That's a Father. John 3.16, and if I can have the worship team come forward, please. I just want us to worship a while. I want to read this. I know it well, but I want to read this. See, the story of man, the story of man is simply this. That God created man for relationship, for companionship, for love. God created man to be part of his family. That was his eternal intent. But when Adam and Eve sinned, because God is a holy God and he cannot look on sin, a separation came. A separation between man and God came. And so the word of God says in Romans, he sent a second Adam, Jesus, who lived a sinless life and who took upon 
himself the sin of the world. Everything that you can think of that is bad and nasty and that you would never dream of doing, Jesus died for that. He took upon that sin upon himself and he paid the ultimate price. And because of that, those who believe in him who are born again, born of the Spirit, who repent, first of all, who confess our sins to our Father. God, I'm sorry I've done this and this. Then who believe in Him and receive Him into their life. They are born again. They are rescued from this dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. They are a new creation. The old is gone. A brand new person. And then this brand new robe of righteousness that is from Jesus Christ, we come humbly to our God with a big smile on his face. He said, I've missed you. When I don't hear from my children, and they're old now, and I, I know they're very good at finding all of my kids, but I wasn't that good. I miss him. When I get that phone, hey, how you doing? That's all. It's like, yeah, that's cool. That's what God wants. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I really blew it today, God. He says, yeah, I know. <laughs> Again. Yeah, God, I'm sorry. It's all right, my boy. I love you. It's all right, my boy. It's all right, my girl. I love you. I love you. If we catch this, we'll turn the world upside down. But if we try and do it in our own strength and ability, we have no chance. So I'm praying today that this little word, it will be on our website, will be sealed in your heart. If you ever doubt the love of God, if you ever do, just see what He did for you. Remember that He loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Amen, church.